1 Samuel chapter, chapter 19. Alright, so just hold your place in there. I, I want to I give a, a, a little, little introduction. And, and by the way, uh, Eric, thank you for, for doing that. And, and um, yeah, was, uh, we said this last week. You know, the, the scripture in, in many places, I think, is, is, uh, is weighty. And uh, that's one of, I think that's one of those topics that's, that's uh, weighty and should be. I think it should be. It should be pressed upon us as a, as a people, as a people of God. And, and uh, it says so much about who we are, this, this idea of bearing with one another and forgiving. And it says so much about who God is too. So, so thank you, thank you for that, and and um, thank God for His His Scripture. Uh, it was David. It was uh, David with with sort of this this unshakable confidence in God, who who said, uh, "Yea, though I walk, and I and I don't memorize this in the King James, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will." Fear no evil. Why? For for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. He, he says, he says my, what, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It was the Apostle Paul who said with a, with a similar sort of confidence, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, he who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a ch- any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? These are all these things that are meant to kill us, by the way. Yeah. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? It's the writer of Hebrews who concluded similarly in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? <laughs> and of course, we just sang just a few moments ago uh, from, from John Newton, that converted slave and slave owner and, and become a preacher and a, and a writer, he said, through many dangers, toils, and snares, what I have already come, tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Isn't that wonderful to be a Christian? Amen. <laughs> to, be, to be, as Eric preached not too long ago, to be hidden with Christ in God. To be, to be with Christ. So, so, so much so that if trouble is going to get to us, it is going to have to wear, come through God Himself. Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? Yeah? Some of you awake? <laughs> it's almost lunchtime. Everybody's like, uh, yeah. We started last week thinking about this, this theme of God's protection. And I, and I want to continue looking at the, the life of David and, and the protective favor of God. Now up to this point, Saul's hatred and plan to kill David has been secret. You remember that? We saw that back there, back there in chapter 18 and really back there in, in, in chapter 17, the beginning there. And you remember the song in chapter 18? You remember the song? 
Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And we saw how that, that song sort of changed everything. Certainly with Saul it changed everything. He was evaluating those lyrics, right? What, what else can he have except the kingdom? He said. And so a jealousy and a hatred of David started there. And, and simply by David's association with the Lord, he was sort of a dividing presence, right? Jonathan loved David and Saul, what, hated David. But God showed David tremendous favor even through Saul's secret plans to kill him. But verse 1 of chapter 19 brings all the plans of Saul out into the open. A secret committee meeting. Now, those of us who have been in church, we know about these secret committee meetings. Saul lays it out for them. He says, I want you to kill David. And since Saul is the only one there with teeth, no one could argue for David's life, at least that moment, we'll see in a little bit later that Jonathan does, later, the king, the committee member with all the authority, has spoken. And so nobody could argue with that. This, whole, uh, this, this chapter, I guess, begins a whole series of deliberate, deliberate plans to kill David from Saul, and then a whole series of God's deliverances over and over and over again. And I love it. There are, in chapter 19, four episodes. Uh, the first one in verses 1 to 7. The second one in verses 8 to 10. The third one in verses 11 to 17. And the last one there in verses 18 to 24. So I I want us to look at each one of these and see uh, really the wonderful and providential ways in which God protected David and and, and see ultimately see what, what does that teach us about God and then certainly how can we make some kind of personal application for us today. Uh, and so I want us to pray and then kind of jump in here and I want to read it, kind of read the chapter as we go. It's not a particularly long chapter as Old Testament chapters go, so I think we can do this in the time that we have. So let's pray. Father, we are, we're grateful for uh, Your Word, uh, Lord, your, your, your Word that continues to re- reveal, uh, Lord, Your ways and who You are. And I pray now, Father, that th- through First Samuel 19, that You would, Lord, again, show us, God, Your, your wonderful and providential and mysterious ways to us, that Your church, Lord, might rejoice and, and, and worship and, and God be changed as a result of, of what You tell us and how You teach us about who You are. Lord, this is, this is Your Word, and we want to take this, Lord, soberingly and seriously. And we want You, Lord, by Your, by your wonderful grace to, to sanctify Your church, to, to set us apart more and more as holy, and cause us to be more and more like Jesus Christ, Your Son. So, Lord, we, we need Your help. We need You to do that, Lord, to do what the preacher can't, to take Your Word and bring it alive inside of us and change us. Thank You, God, for this, this treasure, this instruction. And... Um, May you be honored in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at these four episodes here and then let's just see what this, what, what this teaches us, uh, at least a little bit, uh, about what this teaches us about God. The first episode of, of God's deliverance of, of David and Saul's plans and to kill, to kill David. But let, let's look at verses 1 to 7, first of all. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, uh, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. 
Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. I hope you're just making note of that. Verse 7, And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Here Jonathan intervenes for a friend. Isn't that wonderful? He, he, he vowed to do so, right? Back there in, in, those, uh, in that earlier section, he loved David. He tells David that, listen, my dad wants to kill you. He, be on alert. And all, although Jonathan couldn't say anything in the initial committee meeting, here he pleads for David's life before Saul. He says, don't, don't, don't kill David. And he presses on, if you will, Saul's memory. And he certainly uses all kinds of reason and logic. He uses reason when he says, he hasn't wronged you in any way. He hasn't wronged you. He uses a moral argument. He says he risked his life for all Israel. He fought the giant. Remember that? Why will you sin against innocent blood? It's the moral argument. He uses a theological argument. He says, he says, it was through David that the Lord Himself saved us. And remember, Dad, you rejoiced in that. You were glad about that. <laughs> and his argument, what? Seems to work. <laughs> Saul seems to, to make a turnaround, take, taking an oath that he will not kill David. And in verse 7, it seems everything gets back to normal. <laughs> but most of us know the rest of the story, don't we? Saul isn't a man of his word. Uh, he, he said, as the Lord lives, but you and I both know he don't care about the living God. He certainly doesn't care about the reputation of the living God. So that's the first episode of God's deliverance, to use Jonathan, the son of the king, to deliver David. The second one is found in verses 8 to 10. Let's read it together. And there was war again. Seems that's the, the case back in these Old Testament passages. Boy, it sounds familiar. It sounds like our day, doesn't it? And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. And then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with a spear in his hand. We can almost tell what's coming, can't we? And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. That's the second of those deliverance episodes, God protecting David. There's more war, the Bible says there, and more Davidic success, and more of Saul's madness. Can't forget, remember this, that Saul is still under the judgment of God. You guys remember that? And madness seems to do something to people that normally... Mad people don't always keep their word. Let me say it that way, right? He's, he's not going to keep his word. David is again providing peaceful music for a man with no peace. And Saul again has a spear in his hand. And we, we know by now, just from the last chapter, every time Saul has a spear in his hand, we can probably guess that David's somewhere near, right? He's going to try to pin David to the wall. But again, either Saul's aim is off or David's reflexes are on, and Saul succeeds only in hitting the wall, the Bible says. 
Again, David avoids death. The Bible says here that he flees to his home, but home wasn't safe either. So that brings us to this third episode in verse 11 and following. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, remember? That's the daughter of the king. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight... Tomorrow you will be killed. And so Michael let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image, a household god, if you will, a false image, and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair uh, at his head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He's sick. And then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed. And I may kill him. You don't have to come here. Just carry him there, right? Verse 16. And, and when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair at his head. And Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus? And let my enemy go, so that he has escaped. Well, she has another plan. And Michael answered Saul, He, uh, he said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Well, there's the third of these episodes. Saul has, by the way, by this point, completely abandoned his oath. (laughs) Yeah, before Jonathan and the Lord. He sends his hit men to watch and to wait for David in order to kill him. But God has another watchman, or should I say, a watchwoman. (laughs) Michael. Evidently, Michael was a a really good observer. She she knew what was up. She she knew the deal, right? And so Michael and David have a a talk, if you will, a conversation in verse 11. right? Listen, if if you don't escape tonight, you're going to be killed in the morning. And somehow she lets him down through a a window to escape. Evidently she was quite a stout woman. Then she she devises a plan. I I don't know. But then she devises a plan to give David a little more time. And here it is. And the text is difficult. If if, if Those of you that are Hebrew uh, readers, the the text is really difficult to kind of understand what's going on there. Uh, But the ESV, and I think most of our modern translations, help us a, a little to understand what's going on. She takes a household god, a household idol. Now, we don't know anything else about that. We don't know why she had it or where she got it, or whatever the case may be. It just simply states, this is what she did. But you get the idea, I think. She, she made it look like David, who was supposed to be sick in the bed. Today, she might have uh, had a tissue box, you know, sitting by the bed, or maybe came to the door when the doorbell rang with a COVID test in her hand or something, you know, to try to deceive the, the people there. She was giving her husband more time to escape and to hide. And she was successful, except that it didn't exactly please her dad, right? So, but, but she has another plan. She deceives her father. Uh, something like, you know, Dad, you were right about this guy. Right? I mean, you can, almost, you can almost see her working up a tear in the corner of her eye, right? Dad, he was going to kill me. I mean, that's the idea that she that she's presents before her father. He would have killed me. He's an awful man. You were right about him, Dad. I can almost see that, I think. Now, we won't discuss her ethics here, but this is another one of David's deliverances, David's protection. The last one is found in verses 18 to 24, and I think it's the most involved and certainly the longest, but let's begin reading there in uh, verse, uh, verse uh, eight, 18. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah. Right, he's safe at last. He's with Samuel, Right? wrong, (laughs) and told him all that Saul had done to him. 
And he and Samuel went and lived in Nioth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he's, he's a little uh, thick-headed, and when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And, and, and that wasn't enough, and Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. And you would think that would be enough. Then he himself went to Ramah, and he came to the great well that is in Secu, and, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one, and, and one said, Behold, they are at Nioth in Ramah. And he went there to Nioth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And he went, and as he, as he went, this is right, right, even before he arrives, this is the idea, as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nioth in Ramah. And he too, evidently, they all did and he too stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and you guys realize this is descriptive not prescriptive (laughs) and he too stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and they lay naked all that day and all that night thus it is said is Saul also among the prophets we've heard that before haven't we because Saul had prophesied sometime before that Well, as David escapes to Ramah with Samuel, we would think to ourselves, surely he will be safe with Samuel. The Bible tells us here that David sort of unloads his burden on Samuel, tells him what's going on. Um, But what what is this elderly prophet to do? Right? Saul has his informers everywhere, evidently. And as soon as he sends his people to get him, that is Saul sending his people to get David, uh, something sort of... Unpredictable happens. So, something no one would have ever predicted. Something only God would do. And, and, and I think as you read it, we, we, of course some of us did, right? We, we almost laugh, don't we? Yeah. When the messengers saw Samuel and the group prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon them and they started prophesying. Hmm. In other words, they joined in with the, with the prophesying, with the worship service. Saul sent a second group. That wasn't enough. And the same thing happened to them. And then he sends a third group. And the same thing happens to them. The Bible says, they also. They also. You see that. Repeated. They also. They also. Think about it. David has nowhere to go. He he goes to the safest place he can think of. He's still not safe there. That is with with Samuel. Saul sends his, his constables, if you will, to apprehend the fugitive. But God sends his spirit in mysterious unequaled, irresistible power and renders these messengers powerless except to praise God or to prophesy. Think about it. I mean, only God could turn a heart like that. (laughs) Only God could do something like that. Isn't that crazy? The Lord turns the whole thing into a worship service. It's, It's pretty amazing. But Saul is, is, is pretty, you know, he's, he's pretty thick-headed. He's, he's a lot like me and maybe a couple of people out there. But. And he doesn't understand the lesson. He thought, listen, if you're going to do something right, you've got to do it yourself. Right? You, you guys know that. And so he comes to Ramah. And in another unexpected, unexpected twist, I mean, if anyone is too hard for God to turn, you think Saul's the guy, Right? 
wrong. <laughs> Remember the they also, they also. If you look at verses 22 to 24, it says, He too. Yeah. He too. Speaking of Saul. He did, he did the same thing the other guys did. In fact, it says, even before he gets to Ramah, as he went, it says, he began to prophesy as well. So that when he gets there, in uninterrupted worship, he just simply joins into the whole process. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. God didn't care that Saul was still being labeled king of Israel. Saul wasn't exempt from God's authority. It's amazing that God overpowered Saul's will even before he came to the worship service in Ramah. As I read this, I was thinking about Philippians chapter 2. You guys know this. Where it it says, One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that. I've preached through Philippians a few times and I'm thinking to myself, How in the world is God going to get atheist and every hard-hearted rebel and even Satan and all of his demons to one day acknowledge Christ as Lord. Well, the answer is right here in 1 Samuel. (laughs) It's right there, isn't it? Right there in 1 Samuel is the answer. By the sheer and awesome power of God. That's it. Overcoming every rebel soul and every power to the glory of God the Father. That's how he's going to do it. God, through no human means came to David's rescue. God not only subdued David's enemy, but He rendered them helpless, and they became the instruments of God's praise. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome power, church. <laughs> Think about it. Saul, who had been rejected by the Lord, now under the sway of a harmful spirit, was overcome by the Spirit of God and didn't even interrupt the worship service already taking place. <laughs> But added to it, he was so overcome that the Bible says there it lasted all day and all night. Naked, by the way. A sign of submission and humiliation and helplessness. There he is. He can't help but worship God. Now, I don't want you to be confused. My wife and I were kind of talking about this. This is not a conversion experience of Saul. Right? We certainly know that from later texts as well. Remember the words of Jesus about lost people prophesying in His name? What does He say to them? Depart from Me. I I never knew you. You what? Who practice lawlessness. It's quite possible for someone to do all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders, even prophesy or cast out demons in His name, but to be as lost as a as a fish in an Arizona sandbox, right? I mean, it's, it's quite possible for someone to be completely lost and participate in some, some pretty powerful demonstrations of God's Spirit. This is a demonstration of what God can do to a hard-hearted rebel. This is a demonstration of God's power. Our, our brother uh, Alan uh, uh, was speaking on Philippians chapter 3, and I just really just jotted this down this morning. I was thinking about verse 21. It says, Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, listen to this, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Listen to the last part of that. By the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. He's able to subject all things to Himself. Even hard-hearted rebels. Yeah. They fell under the the subjugation of God's powerful Spirit. And what does this do? this This is a little rabbit I'm chasing here because I was thinking about this even this morning. But what does this do to the idea that you know, God will, never, God will never go against our will. What does that do to that notion? Or, 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 I heard one preacher say this, God can't work, you know, against our will. In other words, we kind of get the, the last say in our... What, is, what does a passage like this do to that kind of thought? destroys it, doesn't it? 
God works according to the counsel of his, what? His, his own will. Yeah, that's right. What do we learn about God, His ways, His protection through these four kind of episodes? Well, I think the obvious and sort of the overarching primary lesson is that the Lord protects His servant or His servants. I mean, and He does it, what, over and over again. <laughs> but I want to look again briefly at these episodes. We won't go in detail but, uh, and kind of look some of them at, as the, maybe all four of them as a whole. Uh, I want to look briefly at these, these episodes of God's protection of David. Make some notes about God and His ways. And then lastly, I want to make just a, a few little applications here. Let's note four ways in which the Lord protected His servant David. Let's first note the Lord's providential silence. His providential silence. I think we can defend the truth that most often times God is quiet about His work. Can we not say that? Yeah. I mean, chapter... 18, we could really go back to chapter 17, even the story of David and Goliath. Uh, chapter 18, chapter 19 for the most part, except for that last little episode, right? If you were reading the first three stories of chapter 19, you would hardly know God is there at all. But just because God is silent and you can't see it, listen, it doesn't mean He's not at work. It doesn't mean He's not active. Remember what Christ said? I, Father, what are working, He says. Yeah. In that first episode, God protected through the, the love of an interceding friend. I hope, listen, I hope all of us have a story of a friend who spoke on our behalf. Can we, can we not acknowledge that? I hope we have. The second episode, God protected David in a war and from Saul's spear. And, and if he didn't know any better, I mean, you certainly could attribute this to David's skill or David's quick reflexes or maybe Saul's bad eyes or who knows. Probably most of us have our own stories of, of some possible terrible accident, right? That, that at the last moment we were able to turn the wheel and avoid some horrifying accident. And I hope you and I as believers can kind of see into those moments that there is an invisible hand that is guiding these kinds of things. That we do have a providential and a sovereign God that is controlling the events of human history to accomplish His work and to preserve His people. Yeah. Hmm. David already acknowledged this back there in chapter 17 when he says about the bear and the lion. The Lord delivered me, he said. The Lord delivered me from the bear and the lion. That third episode, God protected David through his sneaky wife, right? I mean, Paul could relate to that being let down through or off of a wall there. Well, I think it was in Damascus right after his, con- his conversion. Uh, someone could try to argue that God, God surely couldn't have been in, in, in Michael's schemes since he used a household idol and a deception. But we already know the story of Rahab, don't we? Yes. How she hid the spies. Yes. And it was through really a deception. And by the way, she's mentioned in the New Testament as a person of faith. Maybe not for her deception, but certainly believe in God. I mean, even Samuel, a few chapters earlier, he, he didn't tell everybody in Bethlehem what he was doing there when he went to anoint David as king. By the way, by God's instruction, he said, tell them you're there to sacrifice. And of course, he did sacrifice. Well, so we know those kinds of things. Let me say it this way. God is sovereign. And He's sovereign in such ways that that He doesn't get the stench of our sin on Him. And yet He's sovereign over sin, and He's without sin. Yes. Yeah? I I think we can build a principle that this is most often the the way God protects His servants, through His quiet providence, His invisible hand, controlling the events of human history in ways that no one is aware of, and sometimes through questionable actions of men, 
all for His glory and for the preservation of His people. We can take comfort in that, church. We, 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 we can worship a God like that. <laughs> we can celebrate a God like that. He's our God. That's the first thing I want to note, is providential silence. Let's note a second thing. Let's note His visible power. Let's not only note His providential silence, but let's note His visible power. God had protected David through the quiet means of Jonathan and Michael and even David's abilities. And you read this last episode of David coming to Samuel, and you expect the text to reveal, okay, now, now David's extra safe. He's with Samuel. This old but powerful judge and prophet, he, man, boy, he's going to take care of, as we say in the South, bitterness. He's going to take care of bitterness with Saul and his man. <laughs> and then you get a curveball. Samuel does nothing. <laughs> he does nothing to protect David, right? I mean, he's leading a worship service. I guess that's something. But, but, but listen to this. God, by the sheer power of His Spirit... David. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, our God, in full view, delivers in power to remind us that salvation belongs to the Lord. He may use other means, but He also may decide to bypass all the means and simply show off. And He has every right to do so. Yeah. To teach us again, listen, He doesn't need us. He, 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 he's just fine without us. He's been ruling His universe for a long time. He stands in the solitude of Himself and He's perfectly fine. Yes. I like Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation is from the Lord, he says. God is teaching us that, that, listen, that, that the tools of rescue can never cannot always the origin of rescue. Sometimes God makes that point obviously clear. Listen, don't applaud Jonathan and Michael too much. Don't get too excited about David's skill with a sling and stone. God is the Savior here. Amen? And I think that's the point of this visible power display of God. David is still in trouble at the end of this chapter too, by the way. If you, if you keep reading, you, David's still in trouble. Saul's still living. Saul still has an intent. Even after prophesying, Saul still has intent to kill David. He's still in trouble. We know that from continued reading. But now, but listen to this. But now David... And everyone else, including Saul, knows God is with David. You see what God's doing? He's showing them. God is with David. God is protecting David. David still exists in the world because God is protecting him. I like what one commentator said. He said, he said, Sometimes the clearest evidence that God has not deserted you is not that you are successfully past your trial, but that you are still on your feet in the middle of it. I like, I like that. And I want to say this to you too. God is never obligated to work a powerful, visible sign for us. That's right. He's not obligated to do that. Whatever God does, listen to me, church, you should note that. Whatever He does, you should note that. Sometimes, church, we should note a spear in the wall and not in our chest. Note that. Sometimes we should take note of a faithful friend who took up for us. Sometimes we should note a wife who defended us or a window. Or, or, or even prophesying naked men. Note that. <laughs> or maybe we need to take note that we ended up in the emergency room, not in the morgue. Yes. Take note of that. Whatever and however God shows us something, we should note it. Take notice, church. But Saul should have. 
His helplessness should have taught him something. Maybe you can fight against omnipotence if you want to, but the failure rate is 100%. You're never going to succeed, Saul. Saul might not get it, but we have to. I, I think there's a whole eschatology here in that little section there. God is showing us something. There is a David and a kingdom which is to come. Yes. A greater son of David. We should love and long for his coming. Yes. <laughs> we could get into that a little bit later. But that's the second thing. Let me tell you a third thing that we need to highlight, uh, to, to make note of concerning, concerning God's... Uh, protection of David. That, that's, his, that's the Lord's divine creativity. His, his divine creativity. I mean, how many ways can the Lord save? Think about it. How many ways can the Lord save? Jonathan interceding. David's military success and spin move out of the oncoming spear. A wife's deception out the window. Flee for your life. Or in a powerful demonstration of his spirit. Think about it. I mean, particularly that last episode. I mean, a bunch of men with Saul intended to kill David, now naked and praising God. I mean, who would think of something like that? (laughs) Only God would do something like that. What an amazing God He is. And I think this calls for the praise of Christ's church. For us to praise Him for it. I mean, we too are the recipients of God's creative grace, are we not? Um, Who would have ever thought to give life through a death? Particularly, if you want to go a step further, to give life through the death of the very Son of God. Now, let's let's take it a step step further. To give life through the death of the very Son of God on a cross. And then let's take it a step further through a resurrection. Which, by the way, everybody knows can't happen because people don't rise from the dead. But that's exactly what, what God did. Yes. It was the Apostle Paul who said, that's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's both the power and the wisdom of God. What an amazing, creative, divine, wonderful God we have. There's one more thing I think we need to highlight, and that is, that is the Lord's joyous irony. Not only His divine creativity, but His joyous irony. I mean, it's almost funny the way God protects David from his enemies. Listen, think about this. He protects David from Saul with his own family. I mean, only God would think of do that. With his own family. And, uh, Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, is the instrument of God to protect David. And, and who thinks up the plans to deliver, to deliver David, to, get, to, to, uh, to make up his escape from his hitman? It's Michael. Saul's daughter. I mean, it's not gut-busting humor, but, but, but I, hope if you, I hope when you see it, you, you smile a little when you think about it. Saul had plans to use Michael for David's death. Saul probably thought, man, if anyone's going to stand with me in this thing, it's going to be my boy. It's going to be Jonathan. Right? But both Jonathan and Michael protect David from Saul. I think this is the reason for... I think for the church. One of the reasons the church should laugh again. It's the reason that we should celebrate again. To joyously celebrate the creative and the ironic ways in which our God saves. When the Apostle Paul was given a glimpse into the mysterious, ironic, creative, powerful, providential ways of God, he declared, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how incomprehensible His ways. That's my translation, but I hope you get that. Incomprehensible are His ways. Well, we, we need to, uh, to make some application. Because I know we asked this question last week. 
can we say what God has done for David, He will do for me? I need, we, need, we need to ask that question because th- there are some differences, I think. And so let me answer the question shortly and then I'll answer it a little bit in more detail. So my first answer is no, not exactly. Not exactly. And let me explain and then we'll apply. David is going to be placed in a special office over God's people. Do you understand? He's going to be king. He's going to be a covenant king. He's already been anointed for that task. And I'm sorry to tell you, I know this pains you, I'm sorry to tell you that you and I have a much more humble place in the kingdom. Yes. <laughs> Do you understand? We have a much more humble place within the kingdom. I can also say that much of God's plans and purposes for us in this life are hidden from us. Right? We don't, we don't really know what we're going to become and where we're going to be ten years from now. David did. God had revealed that. He was going to be king. God's plans for David were clearly spelled out. The details of ours not so much, at least in time. Right? That is right now. So with that said, let me say this. I do think we can, in principle, claim God's protection. And there's much biblical evidence for that, both Old and New Testament. I've already read some verses. We won't go through those again. If you need more uh, fuel for that, I can certainly give you those after the service. Um, let me say it this way. We can be confident that God will keep us until whatever He has ordained for us to be and to do is accomplished. That makes sense? I know some folks would, would probably like a little bit more than that. But I don't think, I, I don't think that's a small I don't want you to think that is a small thing either. We don't, we don't have to share David's experiences. I, I think it's enough just to know David's God. Do you, do you understand? It, it's enough to know Psalm 34 verse 7, which David wrote, by the way, the angel of the Lord encamps around those, all those, who fear Him and delivers them, he says. You and I don't need a sign. We don't need a, a miraculous demonstration of God's power. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to dodge a spear. I don't want to have to climb out a window or even witness naked men prophesying. I don't, I don't want all that. It's enough for me to know the God who works silently and powerfully and ironically and creatively to protect me and to preserve me for as long as this marvelous, wonderful, beautiful, powerful God has ordained. It's enough. It's enough. And I think this is a great reason for the church to worship and to rejoice in such a God. For let me say it this way, He's our God. And we are His. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this, um, this instruction. And we thank You for the God that You are. Lord, You, you are indeed um, creative. And You are, Lord, sometimes, many times, joyously ironic. And God, You are visibly powerful and providentially silent. And in all that, God, you are working mysteriously and wonderfully for your glory and the preservation of your people. So Lord, may you cause your church, Lord, both today and always, to rejoice in the God that you are and that we, Lord, indeed are yours. Thank you, God, for this instruction. May you help us, Lord, to live in it, to remember it in those moments when we're tempted to fear or despair, to remember, God, that we belong to You, that You are preserving and You are protecting, and that even in the midst of trials, Lord, we can stand confident in You, are God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
you are dismissed.